0: Thursday, December 11, 2003, 3:39 p.m. For the previous 12 years, my father had been ill on and off. He'd had cancer, aneurysms, and heart problems in the past. He always emerged from each battle with the same strong positive attitude that he entered it with. My mother and I never doubted that Dad would be fine even as we waited for him to emerge from a surgery that was more likely to kill him than save him. He had all of his aneurysms removed by February of this year, he had a mechanical aortic valve, and he had been cancer-free for over five years. He'd resumed his social activities and was in better spirits than we'd seen him in years. So when my mother and I both heard the same young, male voice call, we were in different parts of the house and on different days. We knew we were going to lose someone, but not dad. We tried to figure out who it was and could only think of my sister, who had recently won a battle with breast cancer. But that didn't feel right, so we just sat back and waited to see who it was. My father began to feel ill about a week after we heard this voice. He'd lost a lot of weight in what seemed like days and had become extremely tired and agitated. We both pushed him to see a doctor and get checked out. He did and his doctor ordered brain and full-body CAT scans, as well as a variety of other tests. Everything was fine, but Dad didn't feel quite right. This happened in June. In August, as I sat in the car waiting for my mother, I was overcome with a sense of loss. Who are we losing? I wondered aloud, but I had no feelings for anyone in particular. I had a feeling we were going to lose someone close to us. I knew who we were losing when my father told me at 1.30 a.m. Tuesday that he thought he had a bowel blockage and needed to go to the hospital. He told me to take my time on the way to the hospital. When I asked him if he was certain, he said there was still time. I knew he knew he wouldn't return this time. I stayed with him in the emergency room while they ran tests. He did have scar tissue that was obstructing his intestine. They'd admit him and schedule surgery for him. The ER doctor pulled me aside and told me that this would be extremely difficult for dad. I was astounded because this was not the first time they had to remove scar tissue from him, and it had never been a major concern in the past. But this wasn't like any other time I'd brought him to the hospital. I was grateful to this doctor, with whom I had never spoken before, for assuring me that my intuition was correct. that morning. I literally stood next to my father for 4 hours while they finished the tests and he waited for a room. He had been holding my hand the entire time and had become so weak that he could only speak in hushed tones. When it came time to move him, I told him I'd go get my son so my mother could be with him. He clutched my hand tightly and refused to let me go. He had surgery at 8.00pm on Tuesday. He got through it just fine. Because of the valve in his heart, his doctor admitted him to the cardiac care unit, which was normal. My mother and I talked that evening, and we both knew dad was going to die. It felt strange coming out and saying it to each other. Nothing the doctors said confirmed our feelings. We just knew. He had a stroke the next evening while my mother and I were standing over him in the CCU. The CAT scans revealed three soft tissue masses the size of a baseball, one in the brain, one between the heart and lungs, and one in the abdomen. They also discovered several smaller masses running up and down his spine. There was nothing we could do. There is no cure that can handle all three populations. We needed to make some important decisions. We told dad the next time we saw him, and he understood. He was paralyzed on his right side and couldn't speak by this point because the bottom half of both lungs had collapsed. He was able to communicate by pointing to letters and using facial expressions. In the presence of a doctor, I had to ask him if he wanted to keep the respirator on and if he understood that if it was turned off, he would die. He had no trouble making it clear to them that he did not want the artificial life support turned off, and he was fully aware of what was going on. We then transferred him to a private room, where my sisters, brother, and I took turns caring for him. We didn't want him to pass away alone. The four days he spent in the private room were lovely. Everyone who knew my father came to say their final goodbyes. And we, the family, gave everyone a private moment with him. We were all astounded by how alert he was and how well he communicated. It truly spoke of a well-lived life and a man who was respected and loved by all. He was exhausted by Saturday, his third day in the private room. His paralysis was nearly complete, his breathing was labored, and he had a couple of violent fits of shaking. For some reason. I had developed a very strong mental connection with my father which had progressed to the point where I was actually speaking for him. In my head, I could hear his voice. I knew exactly what he desired and how he felt. By this point, the connection was so strong that I had few feelings of my own. Saturday morning, I relieved my sister. Dad had a restless night, and I knew he'd sleep better with me nearby. I kept hearing him ask me to assist him in leaving. I wasn't sure how he expected me to assist. I knew he wanted to go, but he seemed scared or disoriented. He didn't seem to be able to leave. My brother stayed with him that afternoon, and I was supposed to take over in the evening. I informed my mother that I would be unable to return that night. I knew I had to assist him. I simply wasn't prepared for whatever it was that I was supposed to do. My mother understood how I felt because she had felt the same way on her previous visit, so she arranged for my sister and her husband to spend the night with him. I hadn't slept much since it all started, and Saturday night I actually slept for a few hours. I awoke early Sunday morning feeling more at ease than I had in days, but I knew I had to go and stay with Dad, even though I had no idea how I could assist him. I couldn't look him in the eyes when I arrived at the hospital. I heard him pleading for assistance, but I couldn't help him, and it broke my heart to see him in pain. He wanted to go, and he was prepared to go, but he couldn't, and I couldn't go with him. I'd never felt such agony. I couldn't look at him. I felt so self-conscious, and the atmosphere in the room was strangely calm, almost peaceful, and waiting. His breathing became heavy and sporadic as I sat reading in a chair at the foot of his bed. He was hyperventilating. I'll breathe for you, Dad. I said as I turned my head and looked him in the eyes, actually the third eye, where you can see both eyes at the same time. I sped up my breathing to match his and then gradually slowed it down. He was with me and I was literally breathing for him. We were completely in sync. He motioned with his eyes for me to close my eyes as he calmed down. I had a feeling that was what he wanted you want me to close my eyes? I asked, and he motioned yes. I closed my eyes and turned my head back, resting it against the back of the chair. In my conscience, I felt rather than saw my father. That's the only way to put it. There was a vague outline of a figure, but I recognized it as my father. I could tell he wanted me to take him or assist him. I can't go all the way, I said verbally but I'll go as far as I can." We then moved through what appeared to be a tunnel, the walls bluish-gray smoke gently moving clockwise. I was trailing behind my father. We arrived at a location that I can only describe as a massive wall of purple and black swirling plasma. It appeared in front of us. We were standing on a dark floor, the tunnel was behind us, and we were obstructed by this massive wall. The purple was the dominant color with the black acting more as an outline for the purple swirls. We walked along the wall, but there was no way to get through, over, under, or around it. This wall evoked feelings of confusion and chaos. It swirled at a steady but chaotic pace, and it was intimidating but not frightening, even more aggravating. My father had only gotten this far. He couldn't break through this barrier. That's what he asked me to assist him with. No wonder you can't go, this place is a shambles, I exclaimed. Then I became aware of what was going on, and fear overcame me. A fear so powerful that I flew my eyes open and sat straight up in my chair. When I looked over at my father, his eyes widened, as if I had hurt him more deeply than was humanly possible. I was ashamed, shocked, and deeply sorry, deeply, deeply sorry his breathing became agitated and faster. I stated I opened my eyes too soon, so it wasn't long enough. I apologize. He softened, and I regained control of my breathing. The breathing was the dominant sound throughout. It was like a gauge or a line, and I used it, but I'm not sure how. He motioned for me to close my eyes once more, and we began again. When we arrived at the purple-slash-black wall this time, There were specks of orange dotted throughout it. My father was on the lookout for his mother. He was walking up and down the wall, calling out, Mama, Mama, like a lost child. I began looking for her as well. It made more sense for her to come and help him than for me to do so. I called her, Grandmommy Florence. I was very young when she died and only remember her once. I tried to feel her, but couldn't, Grandmommy Florence. We seemed to call and search for a long time. I began to become enraged. I didn't want my father to be stuck here, especially since his body was nearly dead. Why didn't she come get him? What happened to her? I yelled, come get him, Grandmommy Florence. He's been through enough, don't make him go through it again. My demand was more of a plea because I felt so helpless. Then I heard orange from somewhere inside of me. I remembered reading something about orange, but I suddenly realized that the only way out of the purple was through the orange. Come on, we have to follow the orange. I said to my father. He came with me in the same way that a lost child would go with someone they trusted to bring them home. His innocence made me feel very protective and genuine. I couldn't figure out how to follow the orange because there were only specks here and there so I chose a speck and moved toward it. As I did so, I noticed more orange, so I moved toward it, and I continued to do so until I, we were on an orange path. The path arose from the purple-slash-black swirls, and as we progressed along it, we were met with a vast horizon of soft, warm pastel yellow and green whips that curved all around us like a canopy. The purple-slash-black whips were beneath and behind us, while the yellow-slash-green whips were above and around us. It was as if we were rising into a massive dome. It was huge and warm, safe, calm, and slightly peaceful. We appeared to be on a moving belt heading toward a flat, swirling, circular door. The opening was flat and in the middle of this vast space we had entered, like an inverted funnel. The soft white light from the swirling motion was mixed with light gray shadows on the circular door. There was a figure to the left of the door. It appeared transparent to me, with the color of liquid coffee holding up to the light. It took the form of a tall, thin person wearing a long hooded robe. It appeared to be more transparent in the chest area, and I couldn't see a face or any detailed features. My father saw his mother, and I know he saw her. I could feel his delight, his sudden childish freedom, the liberty to express the boundless love and joy that only innocent children appear to possess. I was overcome with a love and understanding that no words can express, a desire to be rather than possess, an understanding of everything and nothing, a warmth that cleansed my soul's very fibers. I watched as my father moved in front of me, he had been following me up to this point, and ran toward this figure like a child. I was still moving forward, but much more slowly. I felt as if I was shedding all pain and worry as I got closer to the door. I was finally home, at the location I had been looking for for so long. I had no reason to return. Nothing mattered anymore. I knew who I was and more importantly, what I was and would become. As my father approached the figure, a harsh, loud knock rang out followed by another, and another. I heard what I thought was my father, now, I'm not so sure. Say Lin, please go answer the door, I said, I'm not going anywhere. Lin, go and answer the door, said the voice again, much sterner this time. Then for some reason, I had the uneasy feeling that I was eavesdropping on a very private moment. I stated okay but I'll be right back." I got out of the chair, still seeing my father, the entire scene in my head, and opened the hospital room door. It was as if I were looking down from above at the nurse in the hall through a funnel. I'd like to take his blood pressure, is that okay? She inquired. The hospital staff had been extremely courteous in not disturbing him without our permission. I looked at her, tears streaming down my cheeks, and said, He's leaving now. I'm with him. He just found his mother. He's leaving right now. The nurse looked at me for a moment before saying, are you okay? Is there anyone I can contact? Can you deal with it? Are you serious? I stated it's lovely, and I agree with him. Of course, I'm up to the task. Then she added, I had a feeling you were psychic. I had a feeling you were. Then she began to tell me about how her mother died while she was not present but she knew when it happened. I didn't want to offend anyone, so I said, I have to go back, I want to be with him. She squeezed my arm and said she'd be right outside the door, if I needed anything. I shut the door and returned to my chair, my father's breathing slow and calm. I leaned back and closed my eyes. I was back on the orange path, but this time I was further away from the door than when I had left. My father and the figure had just stepped into the light. Bye, honey, and thank you, my father said. As they approached the light, his breathing slowed. I knew he'd stop breathing. I watched them move further into the light and heard my father's last breath. I simply sat in the chair. I left where we were, returned here, and waited for silence. I hoped for another breath, but I knew he was gone. I looked at his body after a few seconds. He was unquestionably gone. I went to the front door and informed the nurse. She came in and confirmed his death. She dialed the supervising nurse's number and took note of the time. When the supervisor asked if I was okay, I simply looked at her and said, I'm fine. I followed him. I was watching him. I showed him where he needed to go. Do you know what a blessing that is? She asked and I couldn't say anything. I called my mother and informed her that I had taken him. She expressed her gratitude, stating that she had attempted to assist him the day before but had been unable to do so. She would send someone to get me. When my sister arrived at the hospital to pick me up, I tried to explain what had happened, but it was difficult to find any words, let alone the right ones. She later told me that when she picked me up, I was glowing. The rest of the family had mixed feelings about me. In fact, they were angry with me. It's difficult to put into words how I felt. I remember telling a minister, who asked me to share my story, that letting go of someone so deeply was the ultimate test of love. On that level, you can't let go if you're worried about what it means to you. Only if you care about what is best for that soul. That is the force that connects all life to all life the love of being rather than having. I suppose you could call it selfless or fearless love. I realize now that hell is the fear that holds us captive. Hell is trapped between the physical and the next worlds. To pass that wall, we must have felt and understood the love of being, that selfless, fearless love, at some point in our lives. That is the love message, not what most of us think of as love there can't possibly be anything in it for us. It doesn't matter how we understood it, or how long we felt it. Just that we did. I lay down, closed my eyes, and was back at the purple-slash-black wall a few hours after I got home from the hospital. It's amusing, but it's not as intimidating this time. When I looked behind it, I discovered it was a curtain. I crept behind the curtain and up the path, where I saw my father far away in the light, I wanted to go, but the curtain appeared in front of me, and said, not yet. I'm still trying to figure out how and why I was able to accompany my father. According to what I've read and tried to research, this is not a common occurrence, though I'm not the first person to have such an experience. There are a few things I'm certain of right now. And they are that we are much more than flesh, bones, and blood, that our actions, And even thoughts here mean far more than we can imagine. That love is far greater and far more powerful than most of us realize. I also know that my father and any other soul, living or dead, who has known true love for another being are safe and will be safe for the rest of eternity. I know we can all go home now. Thank you.